engaged by law enforcement agencies, yes. or whether we're reacting to commercials during the middle of the Super Bowl, yes. which that is itself, yes. this idea of a national sports holiday um, is itself the consequence of a manipulation. Yes. At least we should bring up Coca-Cola and the origins of Christmas. Yeah. So, Bobby Keaton, one of the, the the biggest frustrations I have is that we as black people don't keep things real. You know, like, we just don't like to challenge a whole lot. Like, I, I think food is one of the, the biggest pieces, and I really want to talk about the, that today. One of the, 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 one of the times as a kid that I thought that my grandparents were just, <coughs> sorry, were disgusting, when they ate hog head cheese. And I, and I just couldn't, for the life of me, understand why they were eating something that came out of a hog's face, cheese. And so it's like when we talk about police violence, Diallo always makes this point. There are more black people dying from our dietary um, choices, heart disease, cancer, um, stress, blood clots, stress, depression, depression. And I know personally, like I'm a, I'm a black man that's dealing with mental health illnesses. Ever since that I I stopped uh, drinking liquor to to the to the point that I was I was drinking, when I, I decreased my meat consumption, I decreased my dairy consumption. I have felt so much better mentally and emotionally, sharp and more focused and more able to deal with my triggers. But I could I could only do that by challenging my consumption habits when it came to meat. And one of the, my frustrations is that we hold on to the legacy of our traditions because grandma fed it to us because that's what we always knew. How do we have critical conversations about food, which is very personal to us based on who used to prepare it for us, uh, the, 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 the black cultural tradition of, of soul food? How do we have and how do you have those conversations, those critical conversations about food Cause since it's so deadly to us as well? Ooh, you boy, you sure opened up a can of worms on that one. Because <laughs> 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 my, my grandma ate chitlins every year. And so, like, and, and she had health problems. And, and, and she passed away because those things caught up to her, you know, eventually. And so it's like, when do we break the chains? When do we say enough is enough and start to have those conversations? And then I also want you to talk to the listeners today about if they are eating. Like, I have a friend. His name is uh, Al, one of my good friends. He, he, he's loving the show. He hit me this morning and said, look, your, your choices in how you're eating less toxic food has inspired me to do the same thing. But this is somebody who, who, eats, who eats out a lot, et cetera, et cetera. I also want you to talk today about how listeners can start transitioning from uh, a meat-based diet to a plant-based diet, like tips and all those things. Because like, I think there's a lot of people who are waking up to a, a new consciousness of living and eating, but don't quite know how to transition from what they've known to be, you know, to live into a more plant-based diet. Yeah. I'm throwing a lot at you. I'm throwing a lot at you, A lot of excellent points. Yeah. And when we asked, when you asked the question, first you gave us a foundation of what our parents and grandparents um, existed on and how these things kind of became emotionally cultural when in actuality, um, if we put our logical analysis to the quality of these type of foods, we realize that, no, we can't go out like that. Yeah. But, you know, we are 
cognizant of the fact that the 400 years of this uh, ma'afa, the Ma'afa, African yes. word for the horror oh, of the African enslavement holocaust, it reduced our very humanity. Yeah. And how did our people take these scraps? And when given the scraps, turn those scraps into delicacies, yeah. and then, of course, maintain the idea that these scraps are delicacies long beyond the point when our logical evolution should have said, okay, now we can leave the scraps behind. Right. I mean, there are very deep intergenerational emotional ties there. Wow. And through the science of epigenetics, which is how environment gets encoded in our DNA, wow. at a certain point, when certain behaviors are so widespread for so long, there becomes a DNA encoding that starts to move forward into generations, right. even though I don't think we can blame DNA for the persistence of chitlins as much as we can <laughs> blame the persistence of chitlins on a combination of poverty and nutrition, uh, let's say, nutrition ignorance. Yeah. You know who I blame so, for chitlins, Baba Kitty? Moen Oinks, man. Moen Oinks have been selling chitlins for 30 years in the black community. No, I was raised. You don't really see them in pick and, and save like that. Mugs. Yeah, them and, red and, buckets, and, young. Them yeah. red buckets is go. You don't really see them in pick and save like oh, more and oinks. They got chitlins by the dozens. Yeah, they got flavored chitlins like hot sauce, like uh, flavored hot Cheeto flavored chitlins. But now. it's seasonal, right? They don't sell not that year round. Cheese, no, it's the, they got chitlins are year round now. They're not just seasonal like, no more. Like wow. watermelon. Wow. <laughs> but Bob, so so for my friend who is in a very meat based diet right now, Baba, how does he start transitioning from that? to a more plant-based diet? Like, what are some, like, practical things that he could be doing right now to prepare himself for this transformation? Okay, before I go to the suggestions... Yes, sir. I want to do the best I can to inform people of the foundation. Okay. And this foundation is uh, what we would call maladaptive, meaning Mm. it is a bad adaptation to the conditions of our lives. So much of what we choose as food is so deeply connected to emotions. And as you very well know, African people in America, because of the legacy of 18, 20 generations of brutal exclusion, uh, lynching, murder, um, apartheid-like conditions for so long, Mm -hmm. our emotions really kind of provide a, 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 a substrate or a foundation for so much of the actions, so many of the actions we engage in that have become almost cultural. So from that perspective, how do we begin to change this? Very carefully. We cannot just take it on just a straightforward, forward-facing, this is the logic of the decision that we all need to make. Because quite simply, you know that doesn't work in this current society. It doesn't even work against the empowered population in this country. Hmm. So we approach these things carefully from, first of all, black people know love. They know compassion. They know empathy. They know sympathy. They, black people, as much as any people on this planet, know that a gentle touch on the shoulder from someone you're talking to conveys a deep thought of this person cares about me, has Mm. empathy for me, and therefore is concerned, generally concerned about my outcome. And as a nutrition consultant, many times uh, my best work is done when I just listen to them. 
first we may talk about their medical conditions, the drugs they're on, but then I start to ask them about your life, yeah. the things that you're into, your creativity, your relationship with others. Because many times I find that the most direct route to correct hypertension and diabetes, uh, you know, high blood pressure and metabolic syndrome, mm. you know, many of these things nutritionally can be overcome in five days for high blood pressure, wow. 30 days for diabetes, wow. 90 days for a diagnosis of HIV positive wow. that can be overcome with the right nutrition, supplement, exercise, and detoxification environment. We know wow. that. We have those tools. But people won't do that. Many of the people who I consult with, they've heard what I've had to say many, many times. But there are obstacles there. And when you talk about substance abuse, there yeah. are pains there and yeah. obstacles that people are attempting to alleviate. But unfortunately, this society, through a constant of advertising and mind control mechanisms, has given people the wrong tools to solve these essential problems, which are problems of just being a human being on this beautiful planet. Wow. So we do the best we can to touch the people deeply. I've even studied hypnotism. So if those tools are necessary to give the people a different pathway toward yeah. their own future and their own destiny, we can actually use those deep subconscious mind tools as well. Yeah. But for most of us at this particular time, to be honest, it's not good news. In my new book, which will be out in just a few days, I'm editing the last text to finish the book cover and get nice. ready to send it off to the printer. Nice. Uh, my new book is called Living Superfood Longevity and talks about mastering the possibilities of long, uh, of long life and healthy aging. The first chapter, I open the book up with a radical concept is that we are presently witnessing the human species splitting into two. And these two, one I call the evolutionaries, which are the best of the best of the genetic inheritance of three million years of human species uh, uh, evolving. And then I compare them to what I call the de-evolutionaries, the devolutionaries, who because of a broad spectrum of environmental corruption and environmental stressors mm -hmm. are not only being sicker and, and, and less now we see evidence that it is being translated to subsequent DN, uh, generations yeah. through DNA and chromosome aberrations. You wow. know, I've, wow. I've, I've read articles that lot, they're man. talking about such as black women are, are, are shrinking, are one of the, the only demographics in the U.S. who are getting uh, shorter as generations progress really? in the United States, and they attribute it to uh, diet and, and, and lifestyle, lack of exercise. Oh, wow. And, and the sedentary lifestyle uh, coupled with um, the, the diet, uh, yeah. the standard American diet, um, as, as black folks put our spin on it, is causing black women to literally physically shrink in stature. Hmm. So, I mean, There could be a couple of reasons for that. Uh -huh. We like do what? know that, to the contrary, we've seen populations in places like China, India, Southeast Asia, and parts of Africa, where traditionally people were of significantly shorter stature than uh, the Westerners who were wealthy, 
And now we see them growing so much taller in such a short period of time. And the main reason for that is overcoming poverty allows the populations to gain a much higher quality protein within their diet. And of course, protein is what our body uses to break down into its constituent amino acids and then reconstitutes as protein molecules throughout the body, which are really what makes the whole body engine function are protein molecules. So we were to examine this phenomena in this country, I would say this would be probably, and I haven't really observed that data, but I'm li- I try to be a good listener and figure out what other people are saying, what they have observed, how could that possibly be taking place? It would, I would say it would be a combination of maybe two factors. One, that the amount of weight that is being pressed upon the spinal cord of our people nowadays with, with, the, with the explosion of overweight and obesity within this society, especially affecting our people, that we do know that excessive weight compresses the spine yeah, to some true. extent, yeah. which can result in people actually getting shorter. shorter. People yeah. do get shorter as they age, so as we see the processes of aging which are influenced by things like diabetes and hyper, high blood pressure speeds up the aging process, that this could be happening as well. Wow. But I say if we're looking at evidence of the corruption of this nutrition in this environment, yeah. metabolic disorders really become such a, a blatantly oh, yeah. obvious yeah. means. I mean, and the metabolic disorders, uh, 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 disorders, normally they refer to five of them, abdominal obesity, yeah. overweight, um, high uh, levels of uh, blood cholesterol, right. um, things like um, uh, high blood, blood pressure, hyperglycemia or high yeah. blood sugar, normally mm-hmm. listed as a, a metabolic syndrome if you have three of those five. But increasingly, doctors are adding nephrotic disease or kidney damage to metabolic disorder. And in my new book, I actually add the disruption of our gut bacteria to the list, making now seven conditions, any three of which can be diagnosed as metabolic syndrome. Dr. Key, I I know a lot of people who who are suffering from IBS and Crohn's. What -hmm. advice would you give for people who are suffering from those those type of afflictions when it comes to their diet? Like, what should they... Because a lot of times... They don't know what to eat because they don't know what's going to trigger an episode. But what are some of the holistic things that folks who are dealing with those type of intestinal issues could could do to your point with that well, stomach bacteria Well, you went right stuff? to the heart of the why I added the disruption of gut microbloom yeah. yeah. to the list of metabolic, and this is about metabolism, disorders. And you, what you're describing, both irritable bowel syndrome as well as Crohn's disease and certain parasitic infections, or in this particular category, and because, as you noted, this is we're seeing this phenomenon increasing rather rapidly, we have to have something serious to do about it. So I would say it would be a combination of several things. One, there just is no escaping that the closer that humans align their dietary pattern to that of vegetarianism and then advance further to vegan food lifestyle, then the better will be our overall health come. Our health outcome. I have a whole chapter in two of my books on um, the Living Superfood series of books, including the new one on do vegetarians and vegans live longer. And there's just no evidence, uh, credible evidence, that can be substantiated that says otherwise. Hmm. Uh, Even when 
meat-eating industries and research tries to claim that the Okinawa diet, known to be the longest living people on the planet, the women of Okinawa, includes meat and fish. But what they don't say is that these people living to be over 100 through much of Japan's history, especially when they were much younger, they didn't have access to a lot of meat and fish. Japan was destroyed. After World War II. Right. And the, the percentage of meat and fish in their diet of these centenarians was less than 1%. Wow. So that is, those are essentially wow. vegans. But they consumed a lot of sea vegetables, which we know they have very, very dense nutrition components. So wow. for people, if I am dealing with a client dealing with irritable bowel syndrome and or Crohn's disease, the first thing we do is a detoxification fast. We've got to take a period to allow the poisons that are causing these problems to get a chance get a to be chance removed. Yeah. So that's the, the purpose of a detox fast. After the detox fast, then we come in with rebuilding the gut flora microbloom. You know, we have 50 trillion cells that make up our human body, mm-hmm. but inhabiting the gut alone, we have 100 trillion, mostly friendly bacteria. But for most people, because of the standard American diet and the use, widespread use mm. of as many as 70 million pounds of antibiotics throughout wow. the whole U.S. environment, including wow. animal feed, antibiotic soaps and stuff, yeah. um, our gut microbloom is a train wreck. Wow. That's why I try to tell people that their body is an ecosystem. And you could either, right. you know, pollute the ecosystem or you can preserve the ecosystem. Mm. Because, it, right, when you deal with... cheese in, is so in, good, in, man. Right, but intestinal flora, I think <laughs> that's overlooked by even <laughs> people. In. And I, I, I like how y'all listening because every time I start to mention veganism, y'all just... You know why? Because he's nicer. Me. And so now that... He's Bible, nicer, yeah, more that pleasant. true, you know. He's when, more experienced than you are and oh, refined. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's true. You're more of a butthole. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Bobby Kitty has not proven to be that. Right. They call her okay. vegan Nazi. Huh? Yeah, he's like, hey, right. no soup for you. <laughs> right, right. Okay, yeah, because as, as Kitty was speaking, and he was talking about the hand on the shoulder and, and, and listening to problems. Yeah, I, I think I need to refine my just because we don't, Just because we're not nice to you doesn't mean we're not listening to you, Brother Diablo. Right. You just, well, you know. Well, I, I don't want you to prickly. put on a front. Because you promised to never lie on air. So I, I want don't. you to put on I've a never front, lied on air. Like, y'all so receptive to these ideas and concepts now that Baba Kitty's here. I mean, here. no. I'm I mean, because I'm always getting dead. Always <laughs> I, mean, I mean, my struggle is real. Like, there's, there are times where I forget to eat, and um, I'm scrambling to, to find something to eat, you know, before it gets really too late. Or I, I, I'm so starved that I just go to the first thing that I see. But for the most part, if I'm able to prepare or control my circumstances enough, I can eat well. The only thing that I'm having a hard time with is leaving seafood alone. And I know that seafood, due to the mercury and the poison of our, of our lakes and streams and oceans, can be just as problematic as eating poultry and red, red meat. But I'm trying to be realistic about how I'm going about my transition because, I mean, I can eat, I, I eat a lot of plant-based stuff. I just don't, I don't get full sometimes. I just be like, dog, I just need something to fill me up. So I can stop eating all these cucumbers, or I can stop eating <laughs> all this, uh, this this pasta that I'm eating right now. Like I wanna, I can't get full sometimes, and so seafood for me is like the compromise. Even though it's problematic in itself, it's like my my own internal compromise in this transition from eating a lot of heavy red meat and poultry uh, and pork. 
to not eating those things. And every time that I, I go back and eat those things, if it's not uh, freshly prepared or cooked right, I get sick. I got sick this week eating a burger, and I shouldn't have been eating it, right? And then, but that the next day I detox, ate plenty of salads, you know what I'm saying? Ate some uh, Brussels sprouts, and trying to you know trying to to get back to an equilibrium. But it's not always the easiest thing to do, especially. And we and we were talking about poor and working class black people. We're talking about places where there's not a whole lot of fresh food places to eat, where the the food that they do eat is very accessible and very cheap. And we know that that's what people do. People go to Walmart for what? The prices. Nobody goes to Hooters for the wings, right? Like you go there for the for the purpose that it serves. For the Hooters. And so the you know the the the, the stores that that sell the the fried pork necks and, <laughs> and the the uh, the high flamings, those are the things that are easily accessible to poor working class black people. And so we have to be honest about the fact that a lot of the a lot of these things are not accessible to those to our to our community. But Bob, can you, can you address that because I always get that that it's an elite diet, that it's a snooty up I don't think it's diet. elite, but I think And I was to, even t- it's, a, it's a class issue when it comes well, to that. Well, convenient. I was even no talking to yeah. uh this this wonderful uh militant feminist sister in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Now, she's affluent. She's traveled the world. Yeah. She has a PhD yeah. and she's a vegan. But yeah. whenever I say anything about, uh, like I said, you know, soul food is is little more than slave rations. She attacks me for for being insensitive to the plight of the little people of the masses because they can't, they don't have the opportunities that that we do, right. uh, more affluent black folks to do it. So it's, she's kind of like let them eat cake type, you know, attitude that we can't look down on their diets. Exactly. But (laughs) again, I'm on the south side of Chicago every day. I'm working with these young people and they are poor. They are oppressed. You're building a garden now too, right? Currently. uh, Oh yeah, yeah. The HF Garden. That's dope, That's dope, man. And then Key's going to come and tell me about his agricultural projects. It make you look small I feel lazy every time I talk and listen to Key. You should. He speaks eight languages. Writing books, you know, producing music or running a media empire. I feel like I'm I'm like lazy like I'm, I'm step totally it up like, then exactly you can step it up all right or I could just you know hate on him that's how you, you do could. it when somebody's out doing you yeah you it's just true call him a hater always you, always you, broadcasting you do, writing right. books yeah you do an ad hominem attack and that'll that'll <laughs> save <laughs> my ego right so that I won't have to do all better. in the video come but to death row can we deal with this uh, <laughs> this this mythology about the affordability of toxic food and the inaffordability of of healthy options uh, Baba Kitty. Yeah, you're making some excellent points. And we have to take power by any means necessary, said one of the wisest men who has risen amongst us to lead us by any means necessary. We must have the power not only to survive, but we've got to project our children forward. We have to restore our access to uh, the throne as Earth's rightful rulers. There have been some of the greatest periods in human development, human civilization advanced when black people sat on the emperor's throne and were amongst the most influential. And we've got to get forward to that. And the fact of the matter is we see ourselves relatively as poor and deprived, but believe it or not, the 43 and a half million people of African heritage born in the United States Hmm. are the wealthiest black people on earth. We are the best educated black people on earth. We have access to the greatest base of resources of any black people within any one nation on earth. So we're going to, part of our advance of all of the subtleties of being human and, you know, being in community, is to advance our concept of who we are, what time it is, 
what resources we have and what we can bring to the forefront. If you look at the overall spending pattern of us as a collective, because I don't think we're going to solve these challenges that you're speaking of yeah. as individuals or even as individualized communities. Okay. This inspiration is one of the primary techniques by which outsiders maintain control over us, having the black people of West Philly not connected to the challenges and issues facing the black people of Englewood or Watts or Atlanta or any other community. No, we are one people, and that's one of the most beautiful things I see the young people are doing right now yeah. is advancing yeah. these concepts of unity, unified action, yeah. and that we all stand up and we all solve our problems together. That's so good. as a person who has, because of uh, my independence, from the um, working at uh, the job-related scene. I've only, literally only had one job in my adult life, and I was fired from that in 1977. <laughs> What'd you do? You still in boxes like Craig from Friday? Who's you doing, man? <laughs> he was uh, working in a laboratory. I share of these um, financial fiduciary challenges, and uh. they still do persist. But I live with a luxury that I give to my body. Hmm. I don't. I haven't drank alcohol since 1986. So I saved a lot of money there. I haven't smoked reefer for decades. I saved a lot of money there. Mm -hmm. I haven't been to a doctor other than one incident with the front bumper of a drunk driver's car. I haven't been to a doctor in 35 years. The average body in the U.S. healthcare system is worth $10,000 a year. That's wow. everybody, men, women, and children. Wow. So after 35 years of that, I calculated I probably saved about $270,000 by just keeping my body out of that system. Wow. So this is what we encourage our people to do, right. to not see ourselves as deprived, uh, oppressed, recessed, or victims, but to see we are beings, light beings, energy beings traveling through the most abundant universe we could ever mentally conceive of or cosmically conceive of. So doggone it. Let's have a party. Wow. That's why, that's my own, I'm going to quote myself, because this is National, National Masturbation Month. You have to. Month. Manny Fresh would encourage you to quote yourself. <laughs> right, and it's National Masturbation Month, so we can get it is national ma national rub it intellectual out. Rub it out month, yeah. So, like I always <laughs> say, black people, we're only poor because we fail to define our wealth. Mm. You know, we mm. allow other people mm. to define wealth, and we try to secure wealth based on other people's definition of what wealth and abundance is. So, right. You know. I I, I'm totally I can't pay Sally Mae with my body though. Right, and and then the you know money saying? you save, right, and that's the look. And like I said, I work with these youth on the south side of Chicago doing yeah. various projects, and they all have more expensive shoes than me, and they all yeah. have, uh, and you know I'm I, I'm not I'm not I'm working. They got class. the new I'm, retros, I'm, I'm, right? Where they're they're you lateral the to me on the economic spectrum. I'm yeah. not above them or yeah. below them. They're more laterally, but. The You're resources where they, where they are there. Invest their it's resources. about how we allocate our resources. Mm, got it. It's not even so that we have to secure even more resources to make change. Like, just, oh, we can't do anything until we get reparations. But it's just reorganizing we just, how we just do things. Just reallocation of resources and and, and re uh, attuning of our our value systems. Got and it. then that goes back to what Bob Akiti was saying about um, transformation, the emotional aspect. So. It, that's a, another aspect of holism. Can can we can we pivot a little bit because let's go. Um, this is relatively a new story that I see trending online with the uh, exploding AIDS uh, oh, rates. The in, CDC in, stuff in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. 
And I know I've been following your work and 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 uh, championing uh, the cause of 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 the the real story behind. Uh, HIV rates of infections. We know that um, they told us that Haiti would be completely depopulated by AIDS and HIV uh, back in the early 90s. Nope. And that, that and White Clef is still making songs, and, and, well, ruining and, the and airwaves. Haiti has, uh, even despite all of the challenges from U.S. imperialism to natural disasters right. and, and, and uh, climate change issues, right. Haiti has an exploding population rate. They told us, uh, I remember Oprah Winfrey said that Uganda was on pace to be the first nation in the world to be completely depopulated by HIV and AIDS infection. And Uganda has um, a healthy population growth rate. Oh, so really? everything, all of these dire predictions that they told us about AIDS, all never of came this, to pass. Right. So, uh, Kitty, can you give us the insights on, on what HIV really is and, and how it's being used on, on both the uh, uh, epidemiology uh, level and on a political and, and cultural scale in relationship to to black people, our health and our larger struggle and aspiration. That's good stuff. Yeah, thank you so much for paying attention over so many years as I listened to you read the Diallo. I'm on a grade your paper and A plus. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you're, such, you're such a kiss up, Diallo. <laughs> I, 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 I just I know, think, look, I mean, you're a, pan, I, you're a Pan-African kisser. <laughs> I just want you to know that. <laughs> no, sorry about that. <laughs> when I think about this topic and I talk to people about this topic, um, especially people who are unfamiliar with my research, which has persisted since about 1990, well, I started researching in 1989, and then um, by 1991 was starting to realize the contradictions between what the science could say in what we were being told politically through the media, et cetera, about the whole phenomena of HIV slash AIDS. And I usually begin the conversation with this quote from one of our great geniuses of our time. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition in your way. To quote Phoebe Wonder. Yeah. And many of us have come to believe wow. in things which our comprehension is not very good. One of the things we have come to believe in, which is one of the points of attack against this whole rise of HIV and AIDS, is that there is a test for HIV. But in actuality, despite this phenomenon being around now since 1984, and despite all of the pronouncements of so many people, despite the FDA approving 31 of these so-called antibody assay tests, there still is no test for HIV. So we don't even know who has an HIV infection or not. Then we have to ask certain questions like, well, what is HIV? They they said it was a retrovirus. Well, they stopped using the retrovirus designation for it. Why? Because retrovirology scientists were saying, well, you know, we have at least 100,000, it could be 100,000 retroviruses in our body, and no one has ever made the claim that any of them caused disease before this. In fact, the first claims of HTLV, um, uh, human T-cell leukemia virus, from Dr. Robert Gallo, who's the man credited with bringing this country HIV and AIDS, his first claims were laughed at by his fellow retrovirologists, that he was essentially had discovered this retrovirus, patented it, and now was looking around for a disease to associate it with, and he got laughed at until politically. <laughs> the Ronald Reagan administration 
1984, specifically oh, wow. on April 23, 1984, after a bunch of behind-the-scenes Political machinations and scientific manipulation had gone down. Yeah. The Secretary of Health and Human Services, Margaret Heckler, and Robert Gallo held a news conference and announced to the world, we have found the probable cause of AIDS, and it is Robert Gallo's HTLV-3 this time. This is the third attempt to put his retrovirus on a disease. It was an absurd announcement. Wow. Wow. And accompanied by zero peer review scientific uh, validation of his outcomes, even after the um, tests or his, this study was finally released, their methodologies, they realized that the majority of people who have been diagnosed as AIDS didn't even have any signs of HTLV3. So it was a bogus announcement. Wow. So from its birth, HIV, AIDS has been plagued by bad science, phony, fake science. Now, let's wow. bring this up to date, because they are now and have been for some time making a claim that the only heterosexual populations at risk of HIV and AIDS are black people, black people on the African continent and black people in America. America. Yeah. News headline from a London newspaper, The Independent, that says the, the global crisis of heterosexual AIDS is over announced some 20 years ago. Well, why is this still persisting in our community? Can I break it down? Can I make it real plain? Make it plain. Absolutely. Make it plain, brother. Break it down. Because of the ignorance of the, 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 ignorance of the whole of the community, and in these cases, it should be led by medical and scientific researchers hmm. who are given credibility and listened to, and because of the absolute greed of the people who are willing to line their own pockets wow. while delivering bodies to the HIV establishment. I know a lot of these people. I've been in battles with them head-to-head -head for many, many years, many years in wow. public debates, behind the scenes, etc. I know currently there is a program called the African American Leadership Initiative, AALI, that allocates $120,000 a year yearly stipend or salary from the federal government for those who will go out into the black community and convince us all to go get tested. But remember, hmm. I said there was no test for HIV. Wow. And these current tests, if they have any they? validity at all, they can only test for one thing, and that is a 10-syllable word called hypergammaglobulinemia, which basically, as Dr. Sabi would say, you have too much mucus in your body. So you're saying that the, the, the current HIV tests or the AIDS tests aren't really measuring the disease or checking, or, or for, checking for what's for really good. evidence go of the virus. So they're yeah. the viral load. They're not checking for the viral. Nope. What, so they're just checking for what symptoms of the viral load? That's or? if you're in the United States. In Africa, they diagnose HIV by pre presenting symptoms. But you could have symptoms relating from everything from an intestinal parasite to malaria, and, and you can be classified as, as HIV positive so, so what's without the, any type of blood test or screening. So what's the, what's the so what, what would be the purpose of, of a government or a, a CDC or any nonprofit to highlight or or basically juke the numbers when it comes to mm -hmm. African to, to Africans in America and Africans in Africa? Having, having HIV and AIDS, like, what's the purpose of, 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 of this narrative? 
there were multiple motives by multiple interested groups. They all converged in the early 1980s. And during the Nixon administration, they declared an end to research into biological warfare. So many of those doctors who had been doing that then move over into, well, let's start research for cancer, which was really kind of closely associated with what they were already doing. But by by the mid-1970s, in fact, around 1976, they had the swine flu scare. Yeah that issued this alert from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that swine flu, and then there was another one, Legionnaire's disease, that these big epidemics were putting us all in, in peril. So with the swine flu in 1976, they rushed forward a mass vaccination campaign. Let's see if we can vaccinate every American. Later we find out it had more to do with the ongoing issues of biological warfare, wow. defense right. research, anything else. But they had to shut down the swine flu vaccination campaign when so many people were either dying of the vaccine or becoming paralyzed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. So the Reagan administration, Reagan comes in with the idea, government is too big. The federal government is too big. The original mandate of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, was actually an extension of the Department of Defense. Hmm. It was mandated as a biological warfare asset. Most people don't know that that's where the CDC came from and that they had a rather secretive unit at the CDC called the Epidemic Intelligence Service. These are the ones who actually foisted the idea of HIV causing AIDS on the public. Um, Robert Gallo was one of their members, but they all supported it. And the EIS are not just scientists working for the CDC. The EIS trains journalists that have infiltrated media all over the country. In almost all the major media outlets, you have graduates of the Epidemic Intelligence Service training of the CDC. So Hmm. when Reagan comes in, they say we're going to cut budgets, and the CDC budget is due to be cut. So the CDC people said, wait a minute, we don't want our budget cut. We want an expansion of our budget. Kind of reminds you of that meeting where Richard Nixon called J. Edgar Hoover in to be fired, only to have Hoover leave the meeting with a big budget increase for the Department of Justice and the FBI. So that is one of the interested parties. There was also the eugenics movement. I trust your audience is very familiar that throughout the, the 20th century, United States and other Western countries have specific programs of what they call race improvement through selective breeding. And by 1944, as announced in Gunnar Myrdal's book, An American Dilemma, The Negro Problem and Modern Democracy, this nation had committed to removing black people from the population. As as rude as that sounds, it's in writing Hmm. in a 1,400-page book that the overwhelming majority of black leaders barely know even exists, let alone reading a 1,400-page book, the biggest study on black people ever done. It also converges with the anti-homosexual movement, which is why early on they pinned this thing on male homosexuals because um, the fertility of Western countries vis-a-vis compared to the rest of the world was declining very rapidly. And demographers were projecting that in another 100, 150 years, America would have had a black majority and that white people on this planet would be a very tiny minority subjected to being overrun by colored 
people from other parts of the planet. So wow. the pharmaceutical medical community said, well, hey, uh, a plague of biblical proportions, we can certainly make a profit off of selling people the prevention to these plagues. Wow. Even the condom manufacturers right. ramped up. Right. So there were a number of interested parties that all converged. Wow. But from our self-interest, the primary concern was it was another extension of an attempt to reduce mm. our population, population. some by controlling our fertility. And then they you started to sound like the Illuminati, Baba Kitty. I don't use that term because when I do my research, I have to be very precise. Yes, sir. I like to name names, name agencies, their location, their budget, et cetera, and offices. So you're, so you're not looking for the sign that Jay-Z puts up in his video or the, so, or, the, or the song lyric in a Jay-Z song to say that there's national or global conspiracies happening to black people? You know these are, these are research facts, articles, books, things that you can point to and say, this is what's happening. Yeah, you know, you just gave uh, Jay-Z another promotion. Yeah. Um, maybe the reason the they rock. do those type of things is it costs too much to advertise. Look at Beyonce's <laughs> right. new album. Right, right. By building on what are rumors, and rumors only, of her husband's infidelity. infidelity yeah. um, it was uh, estimated that within three weeks, the album had garnered $150 million of free promotion oh, wow. as quote, celebrity news story. Social media is, is, is great in that way, that it's, it's truly a, a marketing tool and a psychological tool to, to really get into the, to the hearts and minds of people and to craft public opinion and craft the des- uh, Amos Wilson always talked about how propaganda is used to craft the desires, the desires of things, the desires of lifestyles, the desires of ideologies. Like, you know, marketing is a very clever psychological scheme to really uh, to, to tap into the consciousness of people and, and really social engineer us in the ways that corporations want us to when it comes to our consumption habits. Would you agree, Bob Akiti? Oh, you put, you put that very, very accurately. I'm listening and to Diallo I would also add this. It doesn't just work for those who suppress and repress human uh, ambition. Yeah. It also works for those of us who would wish to express human uh, ambition. So artists. We can use the very same tools. I always remind people that $1 worth of truth can counterbalance $1,000 worth of a lie. Wow. Hmm. Isn't the the, the parable that a a lie travels across the world 10 times as fast as as the truth? While the truth is trying to get his boots on on the the ground, yeah. (laughs) The truth is just trying to get to the gas station and get some gas. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The lie is already circled and lapped the truth 50 times. Bobby Keaty. Well, you know, a lot of that is just perception. Yeah. Remember, we are spirit beings traveling through a universe yeah. that is said to be made up 95% of the universe made up of dark matter, dark energy, yeah. which means everything is formed out of the mostly nothing that is actually something. <laughs> so you talk about the truth about getting gas to go to the gas station. But isn't the truth also, when we do have a gas, that we enjoy the trip, that we look out the window, see yeah. the sights, the sounds, True smell that. the air, True listen that. to the birds. There's truth. There is so much truth in this world that I think it serves us all to do the best we can to get people to notice all of the beautiful truth around us. You know, you know what, I, what I'm perceiving from you, Bob, is that you, have a lot of, you still have a lot of energy, a lot of hope. A lot of compassion and a, and a lot of vigor for your work 
and for how you see people, I'll be honest, I struggle with that. Um, every day, you know, you, you see the inhumanity, the ignorance, the stupidity of society, of human beings, and you see black people uh, stuck on stupid, uh, continuing inappropriate behaviors. And sometimes it's hard for me to keep going and to understand why I'm fighting, what's my purpose, what has kept you going all these years. I mean, you have uh, contributed to the struggle, the black liberation struggle, in so many different ways. What has kept you going? Yes, and smoke or drink and all those And then, then I want to talk to you about reefer because I smoke reefer, and I want to talk to you about that. But I, but what what has kept you going this whole time, and, and what, what brought you on this show today to, to continue to, to teach and organize about this, this, this lifestyle? Well, you got it. You caught me. And I will say it with no hesitation. Living superfood saved my life. Hmm. It literally saved my life one day when, you know, after having not been to a doctor for 35 years, I go out to get in my minivan, which is parked on an L.A. street. I go back to the back of my minivan to open the back hatch to put a box in it and then come to on the sidewalk with all these beautiful people all down on my face. At a certain point, I realize I'm in the middle of something, and this is not good. An undocumented immigrant drunk driver with no insurance runs into me Mm. at about 40 miles an hour, pushing the rear bumper of my car in about 16 inches. And I could tell where the door of the hatch was because the knot on my head fit a six-inch dent in the hatch. I should have died. In fact, one person who was actually on the phone with 911 reporting the drunk driver said, oh, my God, they just killed someone. Oh, I'm wow. far, far from wow. dead. Wow. Living super not only saved my life, but I've this year just had my 60th solar return journey around the sun. And Shut up. I am in the body of a 30-year-old man. In fact, on that day, I intended to film myself doing 60 push-ups, one set, no break, on camera, and ended up <laughs> having to do it twice because I wore baggy pants the first time, and it looked like woman push-ups. So what my sister... <laughs> Patriarchy. I, I saw that. I saw <laughs> I'm that. I'm calling patriarchy right now. Women yeah, pushers are just as equal so as men. Living superfood. It, it is the miracle that people have been praying for for so long. Yeah. I do the best I can to communicate with people yeah. on whatever level they are. You know, I can write about the science. I can talk about the peer review articles. I think, Diallo, you probably heard me go into medical science language, and sometimes people look at me and say, man, you're yeah. making me dizzy. Will you yeah, please talk to the rest over. of it? Right, right. But, you know, it, it, it's like, Yeah, yeah, can I eat pork rinds or not, Robert Key? That's what they say. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Can I eat this fat back or not? No, no you can't. I would put to you, um, because you say you do wrestle with it. Yeah. Imagine this. Take your current age. Give me your current age. I'll be 35 in, in 12 days. Okay, so you're uh, energetic young people. Yes, sir. Imagine yourself. Take your age, cut it in half, that you are now... Um, 17 years old, 17 yes, and a half years old. Yes, sir. But you have the knowledge, wisdom, and experience that you've accumulated in 35 years. Hmm. How would you feel taking your 35-year-old experience and mentality back and being 17 again? True that. Would you be excited? Would you be angry? Would you feel confused? Would you want to go smoke some reefer and drink some alcohol? <laughs> I think if I was able to take my, my, my experiences back to 17, I'd be in a totally different uh, situation. And I would probably be I'll probably be like the most optimal black man you've ever met. 
because I would just know. Right. I would you just are. know everything. So to, to to your point though, reefer. Um, you know, what's, what's your I, what's your position on it? Yeah, the reason I kind of uh, you know backed out of that whole thing because you know yeah. I grew up in a generation when you know we did that There's love, this, peace, you know, this, hair grease, uh, and roll it up. But you, Bobby was the conscious roster. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, still are the conscious right. roster. How can you be a right. roster, he was the roster. right? So yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about cannabis and conscious. Who doesn't who? smoke either? Muda Baruka. Oh really? Yeah, he, he, he's a so non-weed. What, Muda Baruka is one of our geniuses, and this it's incompatible with human biology. And we we can talk about that on different levels. Sometime yeah. or in my movie, um, Suicide the movie, I compare the human body to a Mercedes Benz. Okay, we, we treat our Mercedes the way we treat our body, and um, in many ways, no. And we'll be talking about the use of this magnificent herb. And it is one of the great gifts of life on this planet. Cannabis uh, in all its different manifestations, whether it be industrial hemp, the medicinal cannabis, or as a means of a person um, deadening the neuronal system, um, interfering with the glutamate uptake between nerve cells, which slows the body down in case you need to relax. People who are having... Um, certain types of spasms and fits, they knew, need this deadening of the glutamate uptake process between nerve cells so that they will come out of their crises. But if we're doing it chronically, then it is a form of attempting to escape from the reality of life. The other part about it is, is that no herbs are to be smoked, to be carbonized. Hmm. I know, we know, in our scientific investigation, that when you take plant materials and start to change the temperatures that don't exist in nature of those materials, the chemical molecular structure of those things change. Changes. It yeah. changes at 148 degrees. Water changes at 181 degrees. Hmm. Things start to turn into different chemical compounds above 250 degrees um, that become ever more cancer-causing. So therefore, the carbonization of marijuana, the sucking in of the carbonized smoke, which carries the vapors, is problematic because the carbonized smoke is a, um, is a process that then starts to form tar. And tar always interferes with the oxygen exchange within our bodies. Yeah. Our bodies need a proper balance of oxygen. Yeah. So to use cannabis in um, edible products, to use the oils extracted, or as a vapor, it's not so much problematic. But then again, if it is a healing herb, why do we need to use a healing herb for years at a time? Got it. So how are you, so you labeled yourself as a conscious Rasta. Can you go into explanation as to what that means? Because a lot of people would, would assume that Rastas wow. are already <laughs> conscious, so why, why the delineation of being a conscious Rasta and then how are you rostering when you don't smoke the herb to get close to Ja? You know what I'm saying? I do know the no, fundamentals of something. And a lot of people assume that vegetarians don't get cancer and chronic diseases, and right. that's, that's not true. Vegetarians right. do get cancer and do get chronic diseases. And they put on extra weight. Yeah. yeah. And vegetarians do become beans. overweight and obese and, and diabetes, diabetes, et cetera. So, you know, everyone's life is individuated, and mine has been a magnificent journey. When I came out of high school, despite the fact that I was a – Quite a scholar during my whole, you know, schooling years. I never went to college. I luckily found myself working in a biological research laboratory a year 
within a year after I got out of high school, and that was a very profound influence. It was like going to um, medical school directly from high school. Yeah. That, after four years there, um, that was the last job I ever had, and mm. I took that in the world, and it obviously has fulfilled me very well. But then I left there to become 30 years as a traveling and recording artist and traveling musician, and most of my experiences were performing in reggae Rasta music. Now, at that time, especially after the Black Panther movement and the youth uh, urban rebellion movements in the United States were crushed in the early, by the early 1970s, and what was substituted was the rise of this whole funk hedonism 